This is PINAC News, and we're here with celebrated Dr. Cyril Wecht. He is both a doctor and a lawyer, and he is a forensic pathologist. He's been with the Allegheny County Medical Examiner's Office for decades and is a great, great source for information about any autopsy. He's been cited by the press in numerous high-profile cases and by the authorities. Dr. Wecht, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. A pleasure to be with you. So, Dr. Wecht, I'd like to ask you a few questions about a very high-profile case without delving into the specifics first. But this high-profile case is presented as a suicide by hanging. And there there are certain characteristics in any hanging which a medical examiner can tell us about. And I'd like to ask you some questions about hanging in particular because it's uh, something you've probably encountered uh, quite a bit in your many years as a forensic pathologist. Yes, I've had many, many suicides and accidental hangings and uh, I think a a couple of uh, staged homicides – and certainly questionable uh, situations over the years, absolutely. So describe for our audience the difference between hanging that you might see on a gallows and hanging that you see in a everyday circumstance, because there's there's some big differences between the two. Well, hanging uh, from the gallows, as they used to do, uh, execution style, and I think it's still the state of Utah, um, where uh, I believe the person about to be executed has a choice of being hanged or being shot. (laughs) Um, But I don't think any other state is still hanging people. But in any event, um, someone who is hanged, um, standing then on the gallows, and the trapdoor is released, then there is great force because the weights are attached on his feet to make sure that he comes down. So that uh, velocity... um, produced by the weights hanging from the the victim's body um, and the drop of uh, several feet, whatever it may be, and the uh, suddenness of it and so on, usually will lead uh, to significant damage internally, specifically some fractures of the cervical vertebrae um, and uh, probably of the cartilaginous structures in the neck, the Adam's apple, that's the thyroid cartilage, maybe the hyoid bone, a little U-shaped bone, just underneath the mandible, um, the bottom of the U facing outward. So um, in a um, suicidal hanging, uh, depending upon here again the height and whether there's any drop, whether there's any velocity, as opposed to a leaning in type hanging, the most recent example that you'll be familiar with is Robin Williams. Robin Williams uh, was was kneeling and just leaned into it. I've seen those uh, many times over the years, uh, usually people in prisons um, that want to hang themselves. So those people are not going to have broken necks. They're not going to have fractured cartilages. Um, Actually, they may have very little damage internally because there's no force, there's no velocity. So there are differences, uh, indeed, between uh, those kinds of... Of situations, and there are differences between uh, manual strangulation um, and uh, hanging uh, that we look for certainly to make sure 
that someone hasn't been strangled and then strung up to make it appear to be a suicidal hanging. Would it be safe to say that the the main difference between a uh, state execution style hanging and a suicidal hanging would be that in the state style execution, a the, the force is central to the cause of death, whereas in a, a self-hanging, uh, asphyxiation is typically the mode of, of death. Yes, very, very uh, succinctly stated. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, you're right. The person who is hanged on the gallows that drops um, like that, as they did with the French Revolution, sure. uh, right, they, they didn't have time to asphyxiate, right? The uh, broken neck uh, might have even, uh, in part, uh, severed the, the trachea. So uh, you're right. It would be the inability, mechanically, uh, to uh, have that kind of uh, respiratory passageway as opposed to a slower asphyxiation that can take minutes by someone leaning into um, the uh, rope or, or strap or, or sheet or whatever it is that's attached to a bedpost. Now, it, as I've been reading, there's actually two different kinds of self-hangings as well. Uh, one is when the feet are touching the ground, as you call it, leaning in, and then another when the feet are not touching the ground. Can you elaborate on the differences between the two? Well, yes, sure. The one um, that we've been talking about, where people lean into it, um, there's uh, really no force, and um, um, it's the um, pressure against the side of the neck, which eventually leads uh, to a state of hypoxia, diminished oxygenation, and then that continues, and um, the weight of the neck um, and uh, the decision of the individual uh, to uh, go ahead with it, um, which I imagine would not be easy because you, in your conscious state, control your brain as a part of your brain that uh, doesn't want to be uh, under your supervision. There's a part of your brain uh, that says, hey, man, I want to stay alive here. So as someone who hangs themselves like that... Um, if someone then steps off a ladder, uh, then whether there will be internal damage in the neck structures will depend upon uh, the height from which uh, they leap. Uh, the top of a step ladder, um, the top of a uh, banister, a second floor on down, or so on, that's going to make the difference because then if there's some height, then you get velocity and you're beginning to simulate the gallows scenario. If, on the other hand, um, you just step off uh, a rung of a ladder while you will be suspended, your feet will not be touching the ground, uh, you're not going to have had any velocity, so you're not likely to have any uh, any real damage internally within the neck. So w- what are the characteristics of, of asphyxiation by hanging that are unique to these cases, the uh, the physical signs that you would find in an autopsy of somebody who's hung themselves. Well, first sitting, of all, you start externally. Down. Externally, yeah, you got to start externally. Um, what what um, do the markings on the neck show? Uh, the furrowing, as we call it, the indentation, the groove. Um, depending upon uh, the knot that is used, or if there is a knot, or so on. Um, and usually, almost always, in a hanging, you'll have some upward directionality on either side of the neck. If you think about it, you put something around your neck and then um, you uh, lean forward um, 
from whatever position than the posterolateral portions of your neck and the posterior neck. They may be free of any furrow markings. There may be little or no pressure. On the other hand, if you um, encircle your neck more than once, then uh, you may have some markings there. Um, if you have a homicidal strangulation, uh, then you're not going to have uh, that kind of furrowing. Um, if you're going to have a strangulation um, of ligature, somebody comes up to me and ties uh, something around my neck, um, godfather mafia style, then the furrowing is going to be essentially concentric. There's not going to be that upward um, moving uh, of the furrow mark on either side as you uh, approach the ear level and moving backward. You see what I'm talking about? Right. So in other words, uh, 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 strangulation, an intentional strangulation might be more even looking. Yes, a ligature strangulation is likely to be more, you're going to put the rope around the neck and you're going to be pulling and the furrowing is likely to be uh, seen in a more uh, concentric, um, uh, even like a fashion, you know, somewhat parallel to the ground, so to speak, assuming the person is standing just to make my point. Whereas in a hanging, uh, you're going to have the upward um, movement of the rope um, attached to the fulcrum, wherever that may be, to the ceiling or some pipe overhead or whatever, you know, whatever the rope's attached to. Well, what what are the other physical outward characteristics of of a hanging death by hypoxia? Um, I, I've heard a lot that it, it causes uh, you know like marks to appear under the skin, swelling in the blood. They call it petechiae. Well, petechiae—that's uh, a fancy medical word which means pinpoint hemorrhage. If you take a red pen and come down perpendicularly on white paper. Um, that will be a petechia, plural petechiae. So, yes, in most asphyxial deaths, but not all by any means, in most, um, asphyxiation from anything um, will lead to petechiae. These are very tiny capillaries that burst because of two reasons. One, in a uh, ligature or hanging situation, there's an obstruction of the venous return. The blood's not able to come back through the veins, backs up, and causes the tiny vessels to burst. Plus, as the oxygenation is decreased, then the wall of the capillary becomes more permeable and red blood cells leak out. So those are the two causes of petechiae. Now, you see them, as I said, in in many asphyxial deaths, but sometimes... Uh, paradoxically, you don't see them. You can also get petechiae in perfectly normal situations, particularly people that have bad circulation, congestive heart failure, and so on. So it has nothing to do uh, with trauma. So you've got to be very careful one way or another. And I've known uh, pathologists, including forensic pathologists, uh, to make a bad decision based upon the presence or absence of petechiae, which is a an unwise thing to do. Absolutely. It's... Uh something that definitely could go both ways. Uh, is age right. a factor in, in the presence of petechiae or not? Well, somewhat, sure. Uh, an aged person um, whose blood vessels um, have some sclerosis uh, and so on, yes, there's going to be um, um, less uh, uh, you know, flexibility, uh, less suppleness uh, and so on. Uh, but you know, not not dramatically so. But certainly there would be uh, some you know 
some difference if you if you did a study of 100 people over the age of 70 compared to uh, 100 people, uh, you know, under the age of 50, you might notice some difference. I'm not aware of any such study, but I can uh, speculate that uh, because of age and the changes in the vasculature, there might be a greater um, or faster propensity for petechiae to form in an older person. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I'd like to get into the specifics of the case that we're looking at and see if you've seen any of the documents, uh, if you've seen the autopsy. And if not, I've got it here. We can talk a little more about it because it's definitely inconclusive. And everybody has called it flawed. I, we don't know if it's flawed or not, but um, it's certainly not complete yet uh, because toxicology, toxicology and microbiology examinations are not completed. But we're talking about Sandra Bland, uh, a case that's happening in Waller County, Texas, which is just... Yes, I, I'm, I'm aware of the case. I'm not involved in any way, but I certainly am aware of it. I've been following it in the newspapers now uh, for the past, uh, what, for several days or a week or more or so, and so I know the case, yes. Okay. Well, uh, one of the other odd things that the the medical examiner turned up was that the victim in this case, Sandra Bland, uh, actually still had... Uh, trash and and debris from the arrest on the Friday before. Can you elaborate on how that might impact this kind of situation? Because it's a little odd. That, that, she, wait, that she had what? That she had, uh, I'll actually get it from the report here, but she had uh, plant matter, uh, foreign material from scabbed area on, of right upper back. Uh, a fragment of foreign material consistent with plant dried leaf material is adherent to one of the healing abrasions of the upper back and measures approximately a quarter inch in greatest dimension. Well, I, the only comment I can make there is that they never gave the woman the opportunity to shower and wash. I don't know what more to say. I mean, and I don't know where the, the uh, trash or debris would have come from. She was arrested in her car uh, driving somewhere. Uh, she, uh, to my knowledge as the case has been reported, uh, taking it even at its worst scenario from the standpoint of what the police officer did, to my knowledge, I never I never read that she was thrown to the ground. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, there's, the, uh, there's the actually a citizen video that shows her on the ground with the police officer oh, really? on top of her. Oh, okay. Then, okay, I haven't seen that then, and I haven't read it. Uh, if I did, I forgot well, in that case, then, that explains where the debris came from and when it came from. And if it was still there, what, three days later when she died, I think that's terrible, uh, just from the standpoint of basic decency to take somebody into a prison and not give them an opportunity to shower before you give them the prison garb and take their clothes. What, what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> there's, nothing, uh, there's nothing about a forensic pathology examination on that. That's, that's just... Uh, that that's terrible. I, I you know I wouldn't invite I wouldn't take uh, a hobo into my home uh, for some reason and not give him a chance to shower if I were going to keep him there for three days. Well, I agree with you a hundred percent. But I wanted to bring that up because it was one of the defining features I thought of the the initial autopsy. Um, and your conclusion is kind of what we reached, but we we like to hear what the experts have to say. <laughs> um, so, so to continue on, uh, one of our initial thoughts when we saw the arrest video, uh, the citizen video, it's about 91 seconds long, um, Sandra Bland can be heard saying that uh, he slammed her head into the pavement and that she could not hear. 
uh, and then was being dragged into the car. And later in the the video, uh, the first and second video that the Texas DPS released, uh, it can be clearly heard that she says, I have autopsy, uh, autopsy, I have epilepsy, excuse me. And the the officer just said, good. And they put her in the car. So we have been discussing and investigating whether blunt force trauma or epilepsy could have contributed to her demise. So I wanted to start with blunt force trauma. Um, having her report on the scene that she could not hear after receiving a blow to the head, it, it, would that be indicative of some sort of major injury? Because the initial autopsy report uh, says that there are no epidural, subdural, or subarachnoid hemorrhages. But, I mean, if she was saying she couldn't hear from a blow to the head, that could potentially be a very significant injury. That would be... Oh, uh, the sound quality is really bad there. Can you... Uh... Can you can you repeat, can you, please? Well, can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me? Better? Yes, yes. This is better. Go ahead. And they found that then what she suffered was a concussion, and that could have had that kind of auditory effect from the concussion. And the concussion is not not detectable. Not enough. Concussion is a disruption of neural pathways. It is. Something that produces actual damage, or it, it is a a break in the shaft uh, on the line of the neural pathways. So um, the fact that she had epilepsy certainly um, could have contributed to this because uh, something of a disruptive, traumatic nature, uh, something of an abrupt, uh, concussive nature could could precipitate a, an epileptic attack. Uh, yes, that's certainly possible. And here again, I, I read, correct me if I'm wrong, that um, she was not given any of her or allowed to uh, get, nor was she taken to a doctor to be evaluated for her epilepsy and had no medication during the three days that she was in the prison. Is that correct? Uh, you know what? I, I actually have not seen that report, whether she did receive medication or not. Um, if you saw it, I, w- I would take your word for it. I just, I have not seen it. Well, no, report. no, I no, no. I, uh, I, I, I don't have the report, sir. So, okay, yeah, I only no. Know what I, no, no, I only know what I'm read. I, but I mean, I could be, I could be wrong. I could be sure. wrong. But, but, but if, if, if it is so, then this is barbaric. You know, this is the year 2015. This is the United States of America. Um, for if somebody to treat someone like that, even if this had been an escaping felon who had murdered somebody, you still don't do that. Um, you know, that person will get justice in the courtroom and he may be executed, but the policeman uh, who arrests him does not execute. Uh, and somebody who is stopped and arrested. For what? Failing to signal a change of lanes? Is that correct? That's, that that's is all correct. About, right? Well, let me, let, me, let me say something about this. If cops start arresting people for failing to signal a change of lanes, you want to know something? Yeah. You're going to be able to get away with rape, bank robbery, and murder in America because there's not going to be any time for cops to investigate those matters. 
they're going to be arresting people and giving our tickets for failing to note a change of lanes. That is the most ridiculous thing in the world. And if you do it, fine, you admire somebody, ma'am, be more careful, please use your turn signal, fine. I, I don't, I'm not happy about people that don't use turn signals, and I can understand. Or at the worst, the worst, if you really want to make a point, all right, give a ticket. You don't engage in the kind of conversation and activities that that cop did. Um, I, this case, as I have read it, and it hasn't, I haven't seen anybody correct this, um, don't know, uh, but um, that this cop, and he said those things uh, to her that he did, and the way he treated her, uh, there, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. It's unbelievable. Um, I, I concur. I, I wholeheartedly concur. Um, so, I mean, the the biggest issue here, to me, that I have seen is is whether they gave her the epilepsy medicine or not, whether the blow to the head may have precipitated an epileptic attack. Have you done an autopsy of somebody with epilepsy whose death was unexplained? Or well, oh, yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, an, ep- ep- an epileptogenic disorder, a death from epilepsy, does not leave anything. You don't find anything. You really go on the basis of clinical history, um, knowledge of the disease, having been there and having been diagnosed and treated, and the circumstances of the death. And sometimes, of course, uh, the death is not witnessed, and so nobody can tell you that someone was having a convulsion. So, yeah, that 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 is what we call an autopsy a diagnosis by exclusion, just like, um, you know, sometimes the drowning cases. In other words, you rule out things, you rule out other possibilities, and then you go with the clinical history and the circumstances. So epilepsy does not... Uh, leave anything, and the majority of people with epilepsy do not have some chronic brain injury or defect, like an old scarred area in the brain or anything else. You can say, here is the reason that they had epilepsy. Most people uh, that I've autopsied who have had a history of epilepsy, whether they died from it or not, they show me nothing. Or the neuropathologist, even with a very special examination of the brain, they show nothing in the brain. Um, so the other thing about epilepsy in this case of Sandra Bland is that if she had epilepsy and, and that contributed to her death, that uh, would have most likely happened at the time, um, you know, not, not three days later. Uh, although, uh, you know, you can have epilepsy later on, um, but um, well, you, can't, we... you can't attribute it. You can't attribute it, you know, directly to the physical uh, circumstances and ugliness of um, situation that occurred there. You see what I mean? Oh, I, I agree with you on that. We actually did take the time to consult with an expert uh, in SUDEP, the sudden unexplained death from epilepsy, a little yeah. bit earlier yeah. this week. And uh-huh. the reason why I spoke to you about the medication, obviously we do not have the toxicology report yet, the full toxicology report. Um, but the toxicology report will indicate the presence or non-presence of Keppra, the medication that she took. Oh, yeah. And by the way, I want to talk about toxicology for a moment, too. They said they found marijuana. Well, you don't have marijuana three days after you've smoked marijuana. You don't have marijuana in your system three days later. You don't? No. No, you don't. No. I mean, they searched no, her car thoroughly, and there was nothing found. They would have charged her with it. It's it's all recorded on the well. That, the, the that, that, that's another aspect of it. Yeah, but you do not find cannabinoids.
three days later. Marijuana is metabolized faster than three days. There's, there's a lot in this case that <laughs> cries out for uh, uh, greater investigation. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot that cries out for more investigation. And one last question on, on this case. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go it's ahead. related to your experience, though. Have you, in your experience, seen uh, – can you describe to, to our audience like what happens when you have seen suicide that was deceptive? In other words, somebody committed some form of homicide or used a suicide in the manner that suggests suicide, but the cause of death was otherwise – well, the the if you if you strangle somebody um, and you hang them up like we've talked, that's one way. If you suffocate somebody, especially an infant or someone who is infirmed or unconscious or under the influence of alcohol or drugs, um, and you suffocate them and you don't produce injuries to the nose and mouth and face. Um, um, you know, and I don't like, you know, I, I always hesitate to talk about suffocation, quite frankly, because it's, it's most, uh, the most difficult diagnosis to make, and it's a diagnosis that you can't really substantiate uh, from a pathological standpoint. You've got to go with the history uh, and, and so on. It's, it's a toughie. Um, so, you know, and then, of course, you can uh, kill somebody with a gun and make it look like a suicide. I've seen cases like that. Uh, that's something that can be staged, um, and uh, you could, uh, you know, you can kill somebody. Various kinds of motor vehicular uh, situations that I could think of, and make it look uh, like a suicide or an accident. So you know, there's a lot of ways. I don't really like to discuss that, quite frankly, because uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> people. You know, sometimes ask me how to get away, perfect murder, and so on. And it's not that I don't want to share. I'm, I'm sure there's here. no perfect yeah. murder out there, but yeah, no, but, no, no. But in well, this case, saying, there's certainly you know, a mystery. I mean, that's, not, that's not something yeah. that I like to talk about, frankly, uh, publicly. Okay, no, I, I completely understand. No, you understand the reason why? You know what I mean? Yeah, we're not uh, trying to advertise or not, give it's lessons. Not, not like, no, it's not because I want to say. It's not like I say well, we want to privately consult and pay me, and I'll tell you how to do it. Obviously, <laughs> I, I can't do that, can I? But I'm just saying to tell people how to kill somebody. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's irresponsible on the part of a forensic pathologist. But, you know, I've given you, obviously, some scenarios and, you know, nothing more than what you've seen uh, in, in fiction, in fictional movies or, or read in books. Sure. Of fiction. I mean, yeah. the, the, these kind of things are happening all over the country. This is not well, an yeah, isolated I don't think, incident. I don't, they, I don't think they happen often, but I have I've had a few deaths over the years where I... Um, uh, concluded that somebody was killed by cops. Uh, I've been involved in some cases and some in which I've uh, testified and so on. Um, I, I don't, I'm not, I, I think that this kind of thing happens rarely, uh, much less so than it ever did. Not that it was frequent, uh, but it certainly happened. And, um, you know, this people, um, you know, I, I had a bunch of cases in Australia, along with my colleagues, Dr. Henry Lee and Dr. Michael Bodden, involving Aborigines, people being arrested for minor offenses, and then there were several of them that were hanged. And finally, the widow of one of them uh, went to um, the United Nations. He was referred to Dr. They, they referred to Dr. Lee. Uh, Henry called me and Michael, and we got involved and examined these cases. We were going to go to Australia and exhume bodies, and that was called off. 
that I wound up testifying long distance live uh, before a court in Australia to show on this one particular case uh, that I did not feel that it was a suicide and I explained it. So yes, these things uh, happen, indeed, and um, who knows how often they happen. Obviously, we, we, we can't say how often they happen because if we knew about it at the time, then they would have been discovered and revealed as homicides. But uh, in a case like this with Sandra Bland, um, this case um, is one of the worst cases from beginning to end because you've got these questions that you've posed to me, the discussions um, that we've engaged in that begin with the reason for her being pulled over, what ensued uh, during that, um, and the, the language and the physical actions against her, and then taking her in, not even washing her, presumably, that's where the debris came from, um, not giving her her medications, if, if that turns out to be correct. I mean, and then she actually, I mean, what, you know, uh, how much of a worse scenario could you have? In fact, if you read about this in, in fiction, you, you'd probably find it hard to believe, wouldn't you? I, I would agree with you, and th- and there's one last piece of the puzzle. Yeah, go one, yeah I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to end it up, please. I uh, go oh, okay. Friend. One last piece of the puzzle, which is that there's conflicting documents that the jail has released. Some documents simply say that she was epileptic and on medication. Some claim that she said she was suicidal. Um, but isn't there something that? jails do when they have somebody who's suicidal? I mean, have you seen cases where jails Yeah, then they, then they should that? be put on suicide watch. Then they should be put on suicide watch. Um, there should be video surveillance. And that wasn't done here, was it? No, no, that wasn't the case. All right. So they cannot, what do they say, have your cake and eat your cake. One way or the other, officer, which way is it? Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty ugly case. Yeah, it, it, it is ugly, and we haven't heard the last of it either. No, definitely not. Dr. Wecht, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. Um, 